Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Okay, good evening, everybody. Um, This is Dr. Jesse Real, and uh, we are going to kind of continue our discussion about interactions with sighted people as people who are blind um, from two weeks ago. But this time we're going to talk about behavior because understanding our own behavior and our own behavioral responses and understanding the behavior of other people may be able to really enhance the way we interact with each other. It's sometimes easy to to personalize um, comments or responses. And it's sometimes easy for others to do the same thing. So we're all kind of guilty of, of, you know, it's about me. And in reality, other people's behavior is not about you. It's about them. So if we can kind of understand the different components of behavior, um, that can really help in interacting with other people and maybe not personalizing as much or understanding that they may not have the information that you will have after this presentation. So they might still be personalizing, but you don't have to. Um, Most people behave in ways that benefit them or that are comfortable to them. It's more common to to do something when it's comfortable, when it's familiar, than it is to do something that isn't. So, and, and most people feel that way. So, it can be kind of challenging when you're learning new behaviors because they're not your usual behavior and, and you're learning something new. Um, and also, behaviors are, you know, what we do typically benefits us in some way. Now, that doesn't mean that people don't do things that benefit other people. They sure do. And, and we all know that, you know, we, we like to do things that help other people or make other people feel good. But that's also a benefit to us because very often when we do something and, and people feel good or, you know, we feel good about ourselves. So that's a benefit. Some people also believe that, you know, they have to behave in certain ways for religious approval or acceptance or social approval or acceptance, things like that. So, again, there's a a benefit to our behavior. And um, the benefit is, is behind the motivation of the behavior. So your motivation is another very important aspect. And when people are feeling really depressed or really anxious, they may not be as motivated as somebody who isn't. Because unfortunately, part of uh, depression, anxiety, and some other mental health issues may be motivation problems. So, and I think most people can think of a time where they wanted to do something or felt like they should. They just didn't feel motivated. 
So, you know, we constantly have to be looking at our motivation. And motivation can be a positive thing and it cannot be a positive thing. If you are angry with somebody, uh, you might be motivated to do something not very nice to that person. So, you know, we have to, we have to look at our motivation. Um, the other components are attitude. And attitude are basically our beliefs and feelings about um, something. So the more likely, um, the, the stronger your attitude about something is, the more likely it will affect your behavior. In other words, if you really, really believe in something, you're probably going to behave in a way that demonstrates you believe in that, which is why it can be difficult when political discussions come up to refrain from mean or nasty comments or other things when the person doesn't agree with you. Because if it's something you strongly believe in, something they strongly believe in, works out well if both of you are in sync. But if you don't agree, then it can be a real problem. And other things can can create that as well. Um, that can also be why sometimes people with visual impairment or other disabilities are treated the way we are because their attitude about people with disabilities may be pretty negative. And if their attitude is pretty negative about people with disabilities or based on fear, then their behavior is not likely to be quite as positive toward us, you know, when they encounter somebody who is blind, as it would be if their attitudes about people with disabilities were positive. Um, attitudes are usually learned, and they're based on experience. Now, the good part about that is attitudes can change over time you probably didn't feel the same way or didn't have the same attitude about Santa Claus when you were four as you do now. And it's because you've experienced other things, you've learned some things, you know, it comes with maturity. There may be other things that you have changed your attitudes about. Um, maybe people of other races or sexual orientation, um, maybe religious beliefs, and it might have been at one time that you had some pretty strong attitudes about those subjects, and now you're more open because you've experienced people of, of different sexual orientations, and you realize, hmm, they're pretty much like me. And that's pretty much what sighted people have to bring themselves to do when they encounter a blind person, you know. They, they have to come to the realization of, huh, you can't see, but you have the same feelings and desires and thoughts, you know, that other people do. And so that's part of the behavioral component. Traits are another important thing that impacts behavior. And traits are um, personality Traits and those can be a lot of things: being kind, um, being agreeable, being unkind, you know, things like that. Myers Briggs, in Big Five Personality Model, 
um, is probably the the leader of traits identification. And Myron Briggs especially looked at traits like extroversion and introversion, which is you know how those those terms came to be: um, agreeableness, disagreeable, conscientious, uh, emotional stability or emotional instability, and open to new experience. And a lot of employers will still use personality traits inventory that might be Myers-Briggs or it might be um, a variety of others. And there are, there are quite a few out there. Uh, sometimes employees actually, employers actually come up with their own version because they're looking for specific things. And the reason they do that is personality traits inventories are not going to diagnose a person with a personality disorder. What they're going to do is, is point out certain traits that, these, that, that you have. And that's really important for organizational because you want different people in different positions with certain traits. Managers, for example, have different traits than laborers. Um, you know, leaders have different traits than other members. And if you have a committee that's all made up of, you know, people with the same traits, you're not going to get a whole lot done. And that's exactly why a lot of committees don't succeed because they've got too many people with two similar traits. And so, therefore, you, you, you can't do some of the other things that people with other traits would have. Um, the other part of that could be that uh, there, then there's too much competition or just you know too much of the one thing. So traits basically do not change over time, and you're usually born with them. Not all the time. I mean, some people can learn some traits, but for the most part, they, they don't really change which is why we say that the personality is essentially formed, you know, by the age of two or four or six or whatever model you go with, but, but in children. And you could usually see that, that, you know, if the, the child is outgoing and, and precocious, unless something very traumatic happens to change that, they'll probably continue to be. Um, if they're an agreeable child, they'll probably continue to be pretty agreeable. If they're not, um, it could be not a good thing because unless something happens, they're probably going to continue to be very disagreeable. And the last component of the, of the behavior is intent, your behavioral intention. And this is when you intend to do something. You want to do something. Um, Motivation is a very strong factor that influences the behavior intention because the stronger your motivation um, or the stronger your intention is to perform the behavior, the more likely your behavior will be performed. Um, if you kind of have a, yeah, I'd like to quit smoking, but I don't really want to because I enjoy it. You're probably not going to quit smoking. Um, but if you come up with the idea that 
it's absolutely central for you to stop smoking, then you're going to put a lot more effort and you're probably going to stop smoking. Um, Other aspects of this could be subjective norms, which is the belief whether people approve or disapprove of your behavior. And social norms is whatever the group or society um, considers to be normal. And that can change from group to group. In some groups, it's normal to drink and get drunk and dance and that type of thing. In other groups, it would absolutely not be normal to do that. And, and so then you get into the subjective norms if you are in a group where you know, that kind of thing would not be normal, people would probably not approve. So, how all of this um, interacts with how we interact with sighted people and how they interact with us is that if a person is a kind person, they're a nice person, and they come up and they offer to help you, they may truly believe that you need help and they need to help you because they're, they're kind. And they may have a very strong intention that they're going to help you, which is why they really become pretty, pretty insistent. So if you recognize that, you can determine whether you want or need that help or whether you don't need that help. But this is also why when, when somebody does something and you say, stop it or let go or don't do that again, it's a really good idea at that point to give them something they can do, something that would be helpful to you. And <clears throat> it can be anything, you, you know, you can say it would be really helpful if you would ask if I need assistance or it would be really helpful instead of grabbing a hold of my arm if you would allow me to take your arm. Give them something that they can do. Because otherwise, based on how they are, they may have come away with all kinds of things. But rest assured, they're going to personalize your response. Oh, I did something wrong. Or, oh, that person thinks I'm stupid. You know. Something like that. So it's perfectly okay to not accept the help if you don't need it, but give them something in return. Give them something that would be helpful. And sometimes it's it's just a matter of, you know, I really have this, but I really appreciate your offer of help because someday I might need it. Yeah. Um, and that will that will help with our social interactions. Also, be somebody that people want to be around. Um, if you if you are in a social situation and other people see that you're having a good time and and that the other people with you are having a good time. Hey guys, sorry, sorry about that. Um, they're going to want to have a good time, too. They're going to want to be with you to see what what you're having such a good time over. So if you can, you know, be somebody that, that other people want to be around. Um, because that's going to increase 
their level of interactive with you. Earlier, we talked about social norms. And this is why when, if you're having, if you're in a situation, um, it's a good idea to make some type of contact with the leader or somebody who um, is pretty popular or well-known because if your interaction with that person is positive, they're going to encourage other people to interact positively with you. People are going to do what they see, you know, other people that they look up to do. So, well, of course, that can be a problem when the leader is not very positive and or inclusive because other people may very well follow that. Um, past behavior is the best predictor of future behavior, and that doesn't mean that people can't change or don't change. It's just that they typically don't change that much. So, you know, if you've, if you've been in a church and you've been there for three years and they still don't include you, the probability that they're going to start including you is, is not real good might be time to find another place to be. Or if you've been in a group and, again, you've been there for, you know, a good period of time and it still isn't doing anything or uh, unless there's some major changes, I don't really look for a lot of changes. Um, so your behavioral response includes your attitudes, your traits, and your intent. Um, we don't typically educate people unless they really want to be educated. Uh, we can do a lot of things that would encourage people to to learn or grow, but unless they're open to that, we're not going to be able to force that to happen. That has to be something that somebody chooses to do or wants to do. A really good book is written by a veteran FBI person, and it's called Sizing S-I-Z-I-N-G, People Up. And it's a really good book to help understand how best to predict behavior or understand behavior. And it's by Robin Dreek, D as in Delta, R-E-E-K-E, D-R-E-E-K-E, and Cameron Stahl, S-T-A-U-G-H. It is on Bard. And it's on Amazon. So that's pretty much behavior. Um, if anybody has any comments about what works for you when you meet new people or you're in you know, awkward situations, you know, maybe you could share them because we may have a lot of listeners out there who might very well benefit from, from that. Or if anybody okay. has any questions. Okay, we have several uh, hand raised, and, and just in case you want to know how to do that, if you're on a computer, to raise your hand, it is Alt-Y. Um, to, uh, on a Mac, it's Command, it's Option-Y, I'm sorry. If you're on a phone, it's Star 9. And so let's go to the first person. Hi, Al. Uh, you can unmute. Hello. Uh, thank you so much for the topic, Jesse. This is really, really fascinating. Um, so one of the things that I've learned through the years is <clears throat> a couple of things, actually, um, is 
to be the person how I want to be treated. So if I walk into a, and you know, I'm human, I'm not always successful at it, but if I walk into a situation and I approach it kindly and with dignity, um, people respond really well to that. Even somebody who might be a little bit anxious, they tend to calm down. You know, they respond to my voice. They respond to my demeanor. Um, and another thing that I've learned is not every situation has to be a situation. Like not, not every situation has to be this this teaching moment or whatever. And a, and a good example of it is a few weeks ago, um, well, a few months ago, I, requ- I requested for maintenance here at my apartment. And um, the maintenance came in, came in and, you know, he did his thing. And and meanwhile, you know, we were just chatting a little bit and I was in the kitchen cooking and whatnot. And he was just, you know, it's like, hey, wait, you're blind, you know? And then, so a few weeks ago, I was coming home from work and I ran into him and he goes, hey, it's me. Remember me? I'm like, hey, you know, good to see you. And so we're walking together. So he's like, here, let me help you. Um, It was literally 20 steps to my door at this point. And he just grabs the back of my elbow like he was outside of guiding him. And and just we just kept on walking. And it didn't it didn't bother me because one, it was so close. And two, it's just like we're just having a conversation he wasn't exactly guiding me. He felt like he was, but he wasn't. So I just felt like that's in that situation, it wasn't exactly necessary to be to stop and say, hey, you know, this is how I hold your arm and blah, blah, blah. Um, I felt like it would have ruined the flow of the, the good nature conversation. But yeah, you're right. Um, you know, some people are. I personally don't care whether they grab a hold of my arm or whether I get their arm or whether they grab my hand or my wrist or whatever. I'm pretty okay with that because I'm not really following them. I'm walking with my dog. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But some people are are really uncomfortable about that. Um, I'm sure a lot of it has to do with how comfortable they feel or maybe they don't have got a dog. Um, so, yeah, but you're right. Not every moment has to be a teaching moment. And sometimes the best way for people to learn is just to observe. You know, we don't have to get into a, well, you, you need to do it this way or do it that way or whatever. Sometimes the best way to teach them is just to allow them to observe and, and, and to be there like you were with that other individual. And he probably learned a lot just in the normal flow of things. Okay. Um, we have Connie. You can unmute. Hi, Jesse. Hello. Thanks for doing this call. You're welcome. So one of the most frustrating things I find about being um, in a gathering of uh, sighted people is their intent seems to be <laughs> to plunk me in a chair and... <laughs> leave me there um it's like they're so uncomfortable with blind people standing up and moving around and talking to people that they just want to plunk you in the chair and say okay you're out of the way now goodbye and so maybe i have this look on my face that i'm not having a good time and that's because someone's plunked me in this chair and walked away and abandoned me so of course i'm not having a good time so that's one example that happened to me at church a lot Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, a lot of times when people 
when we were singing in choir, I was not necessarily standing next to someone I knew. It was a lot of times it was someone I didn't know, and I had to train them how to do sighted guide so that I could get off the stage safely. Okay, so then another situation was Thanksgiving a few years ago. We just our family decided to have our Thanksgiving dinner in this huge house that a couple of relatives were um, renting renting out, and my mom and my husband, who is no longer with us, but my mom and my husband. We're sitting there with me at the table with some other people. Then they decided to get up and walk away and talk to other people. So here I was sitting at the table alone. So I decided, well, I'm going to get up and go find people. I can, you know, I can listen to people's voices. I haven't talked to people in the family for a while. Let me just walk around here and see whose voices I recognize. Well, my cousin was so uncomfortable with that. She said, she kept grabbing me and going, here, here, we're, we're trying, we're going to, we're about, Connie, we're about ready to do something. Here, here, sit down. <laughs> so, and, and I, and it's not easy for me to walk up, you know, stand up and walk around and, and try to talk to people because I'm an in, introvert. I took the, that Myers-Briggs inventory and I'm an ISFJ, <laughs> an introvert, sensor, feeler, and judger. So, you know, so, and it's not that I don't like being around people. It's just that I'm not as ex, I'm not as outgoing and people oriented as the extroverts. But I, I, you know, here I was trying to make an effort to to be friendly and talk to people, and and then someone was so uncomfortable and and said, "Here, here, sit down. We don't want you walking around. You know, let's get you out of the way." I mean, how would you suggest dealing with that kind of situation? Because I know I'm not the only one. No, that's a very common scenario that happens to people who are blind. And it can be very difficult. You know, I, you, you go into a place and you're put somewhere. And that's what and they the say. Thing, and, and the thing is, I'm sorry for interrupting, but I, there's one more thing I want to say. Uh-huh. The advantage that sighted people have is that they can walk into a room and visually evaluate the situation instantaneously. They can look around and say, oh, there's this this person over here. Let me talk to her. Or, oh, there's so-and-so. Let me talk to him. I haven't talked to him for a long time. Well, when I'm guided into a room, I can't do that. Right. I don't have those visual cues. So that puts me at a dis- disadvantage right away. So I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm, I didn't mean to interrupt. Well, that's, that's fine. And you're right. And and sighted people do have that interaction. Plus, they can also look around and see if other people are looking at them, kind of inviting them over or whatever. And we don't have that advantage. What you can do is if somebody takes you into a room or whatever, tell them at the very beginning that you want to sit with other people. You don't Mm -hmm. want to just sit all by yourself. Mm -hmm. And... In the case of a family get-together or family, you know, where you think that you probably could recognize some voices and, and maybe go over and talk to Uncle Bill or, you know, whoever, if if somebody is telling you, you know, that um, you need to sit down or whatever, just tell them, I hear Uncle Bill over there and I would like to go talk to him. Mm-hmm. I and mean, she grabbed they me. Could either, she, yeah, they she could either and grab me and say, sit down. Yeah, and, and so you may just have to quietly just tell this person, you know what, I I would like to socialize or mingle with the family the same way other people are. So 
you can either. It's show almost me like there. I have to be proactive and just exactly. anticipate. And that because is I told really my husband, hard. I talked to my husband about it afterwards, and I uh-huh. said, "All right, you know, don't do that to me again, because otherwise, I'm not going next time." <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so I think he got the message. Yeah, and sometimes that's what you have to tell people. You know, I. I want to be included. I, I'm i not here just to sit on that chair over there and eat. Yeah. Um, I'm here to, to socialize. And so I would like to do that. And maybe it would be helpful if, if you could take me or introduce me to some people or I'll find them myself. But I'm here to socialize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Uh-huh. Well... If anybody else has any questions, um, ah, here we go. Okay, I, I have no idea how to pronounce your name, Umberto. Oh, yes. he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to ask a question. Uh, it's Umberto. Umberto, I'm so sorry. The R is wrong. It's in Spanish. Okay. So, uh, go my, ahead. I have two questions, really, and they're mm-hmm. kind of separate questions, but. Uh, my first question is, how do you apply all these tips that you've shared in a virtual, in a virtual setting like Zoom or Teams? Uh, I I work as a teacher of visually impaired, and we use virtual meetings a lot. And uh, finding time to interact with others is like how we do it in person is is a challenge for me uh, in this virtual arena where everybody's looking at and, and uh, they can see on screen the, the person uh, they want to talk to and chat or whatever and the second question is do you have any tips for like interact with meeting someone like brand new like brand new um it, i'm not sure i understand in in your first question what what was the question <laughs> so because of the whole covid situation we're in all our gatherings are not virtual so um, how would you, uh, you know, in, in tips for like socializing in a virtual setting when you are visually impaired? Oh, so your setting is virtual and, and you're trying to figure out how to interact with, with the other people? Yes. Um, the only suggestion that I really have is is to try to find, um, you know, learn learn the platform and hopefully it's accessible. Um, like there should be a way for you to type in your question or respond in the chat section. And so maybe I'm not sure what platform you're using, but maybe I think he's talking could. about Zoom. Oh, and Zoom. Well, yeah, I don't know that much about Zoom, but there's a whole lot of people who do. <laughs> and I would venture to say that if you would get a hold of somebody in, you know, information technology or, or um, one of the hosts, they could maybe tell you a little bit better I, how to do that. Yeah, I know how to use Zoom. It's just that, uh, you know, it's different when you are in a virtual environment versus in person. I, mean, right. I found it different. So. It is very different. And um, I'm not that tech savvy. so I, I think really- I know what he's getting at. I, okay, can you my, answer his question? Okay. What you want to know is how do you adapt? What I think he wants to know is, Jesse, and correct me if I'm wrong, sir. You want to know how to adapt 
these certain behavioral techniques in a Zoom setting, yes, right? Correct. Correct. Okay. Okay. So what he wants to know is how can you take these social, these behavioral um, uh, interactions between people in a Zoom-like setting, you know, because you're not face-to-face. So how do you interact socially over Zoom? It's not necessarily technical. He wants to know how you interact socially over Zoom. And I can honestly tell you from my experience, you know, uh, the American Council of the Blind has, we have over 80 community calls a week. And, you know, just like this one, and blind people are on these calls and they're interacting socially. They may not be able to see each other, right? But they can interact, we can interact socially by talking to each other. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah, just like you're talking to us now, you, you can do that. Yeah, I don't, I don't mean to interrupt you, Jesse. I'm, no, I'm, thank you. Thank that's you. what he wants to know. Okay, and, and Lynn has a whole lot more experience with uh, the Zoom calls than I do. Um, a lot of it depends on, you know, how the call actually operates. I mean, I think some of them are open where people just, you know, are, are able to just talk spontaneously, and then some of them do the raised hand thing. So a lot of it would depend on the call. But, yeah, you can just talk to people like you're talking to us. <laughs> Does that help you at all? It, it does help, yes, but, it, you know, it's uh, sort of like what you're asking is, you know, like applying all these traits or like, you know, how do people like, you know, behave over you know, an online platform or like a virtual platform? Because nowadays we're doing pretty much, you know, everything kind of virtually. So I would I would say that it, the way it works is, you know, we have online conduct. Okay, and we have what's called uh, um, conduct, um, you know, that we expect people to abide by. Okay, so let's say you're on a call and someone, I don't know, I don't know, gets really rude and obnoxious. Okay, well, you know, we, we, we remind them that it's not okay to do that and that they will be asked to leave if they continue. So we have, you know, an updated online conduct that we expect people to abide by. So that's how people get around the behavioral issues. And it's okay for you. If, if somebody has said something rude or offensive to you, it's okay to gently say, you know, I interpreted that or, or found that to be a very hurtful or rude or whatever comment. Um, maybe they didn't mean it the way it sounded or the way it came out. So, you know, you can, you can clarify that. But you have the right to tell people if something hurts your feelings or offends you or whatever, because otherwise they're not going to know and they're going to keep doing it. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Is that good? Yeah. And I think, okay. I think the more you do this, 
the more comfortable you're going to get because you can look at how other people or listen to how other people are doing their interactions and you're going to feel more comfortable. It takes, Definitely. Yeah. Okay. So we have another raised hand. Okay. Uh, Connie. Connie, are you there? You have, yes. There, it's, there it's you new. go. Okay. I would like to respond to Umberto's questions. He asked two questions. The first question was, how do we ap apply these social behaviors on Zoom? And his second question was, how do you meet, basically, how do you uh, meet someone new? So I have been on both sighted and blind Zoom calls. The, I, my favorite uh, um, calls are the ones with other blind and visually impaired people because we use our voices a lot and we socialize by talking. We don't have to see video. Right. I love that. But mm -hmm. when you're on a call with sighted people, they really need to see your video. They right. need oh, to yes. see you. They cannot handle it if they can't see you. I was in a grief share group and I, I did not have a working computer at the time. It was my computer was dying. So I had to use Zoom on my phone, which was very cumbersome because they had to see me and they, oh, hold the bring your phone down a little bit. Okay, a little bit more to your right. Okay, now we can see you. Then I had yeah. to hold that position for an hour. You know, <laughs> it's just very cumbersome. So they, they, when you're on a sighted call, they have to see you. They, they just really have this need because they're visually oriented. So that makes sense. Um, yeah. I, I was a teacher of the visually impaired as well. I think Umberto said, he was a teacher of the visually impaired. Yes. And, yes. And, and I also just retired from my job teaching English to immigrants. And I had to go to the staff meeting. Again, everyone had their video on. Mm -hmm. So that's how you have to socialize with sighted people. You, you need to turn your video on so they can see your face, smile, you know. And also it depends on what kind of group it is. Because I'm, in the, I'm on the widows and widowers call on Wednesday and we have a very, very small group. There's only about five or six of us on the call usually. So we don't do the mute and unmute and raising our hands. We just all stay unmuted. And we right. just jump in when we want to, but identify ourselves. Hi, this is Connie, and this is what I would like to say. But if you have a call that has 15 or more people, that doesn't work too well because everyone keeps talking over each other and interrupting each other. So in that case... It's better if, you know, everyone is muted and if people want to ask questions, they raise their hands, just like we're doing right now. So, um, oh, and then the second question, how do you meet someone new? Most people really like to talk about themselves. So introduce yourself to the person. Hi, it's Umberto. You know, I'm, I'm from this town and what's your name? And, you know, talk about stuff that people like to talk about, like food, sports, their children, music, TV shows, um, you know, what kind of, what's your favorite TV show? Which, uh, do you like sports or, oh, how many kids do you have? People like to talk about themselves, I noticed. So I just, I hope that's helpful. If you um, can access the radio show, we did a call several weeks ago on meeting people, um, talking to people, meeting new people. So mm -hmm. it might be that you can find that up there on the, the podcast. And we'll continue to talk about those. So you keep joining our calls. 
Uh, we'll continue to talk about that as well. Okay. Thank you. Ah, we have another. We have another raised hand. Let's bring Chris into the mix. Okay. How do you deal with people that know you very well, socialize with you, know that you're an intelligent, interesting person? I don't mean to pat myself on the back, but when they get into certain situations where other people are around, they diminish you to a five-year-old. And I'll give you an example. You, you, I had a supervisor. Uh, when I worked in the office, and she knew I did exactly everything else that my coworkers did and did it very well. But she would walk in the room and she would say, hi, Chris, how are you? And you'd go, where's that coming from? Now, she's your supervisor. You can't say, cool it, lady. Uh, a, lot of time, <laughs> a lot of times if I knew she was coming, I'd, I'd leave the room because I didn't want to be treated like that in front of other people. Uh, another example I can give is, is someone that I know real well, and you go to church, and you walk into the coat room, and she'll say, you want to unbutton your coat? Oh, and, then she's re- and she's ready to grab it from me. And I'm like, we're in a coat room. Duh. That is, you, you know, and you want to say that. And other people are hearing that. And I can handle it for myself, but it's like, what are other people thinking that do I need to be treated this way? As a blind person, and do other blind people need to be treated this way? And you know, you can say she's being kind as far as she wants to help you hang up your coat, which is really not necessary. But sighted people can't stand for you to like feel around and try to find a hanger and a place to put it, you know, in those slots that they have for hangers, you know, in coat rooms and all that. And you you just kind of go, why? You know darn well that I'm I'm an adult and I'm 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 not a five year old. One of the ways to deal with being spoken to in a condescending way is to use the same type of voice. Don't do it rude or or nasty. Just use the same kind of voice that they use to speak to you and speak to them back. Hmm. Match the voice. Okay? So they they speak down to you like you're, you know, a kid or or stupid or whatever. (laughs) Just use the same kind of voice and respond to them. So if they say something like, like they're walking with you Uh and they want to stop and and talk to somebody or whatever. And I, I think I've explained sighted guide fairly well, but she'll stop and she'll stay stand still. (laughs) Now, should I say, okay, I'm going to stand still. There you go. go. There you There you go. Just match their voice. And if they tell you to, you know, stand still or whatever, just, just match their voice. Okay. I'll stand still. <laughs> yeah, and, and and after a while, they'll probably realize, oh my goodness, this is. Yeah. Sometimes it's an attention-seeking type thing. They want people to pay attention, and sometimes it's just who who they are. As for the, you know, can I unbutton your coat? <laughs> and you say, no, I'll get my coat unbuttoned. But if you would like to put it on the rack, you could. Okay. (laughs) Just match them where they are. I'm a host. I'm not supposed to say anything, but I have to. Um, (laughs) You get the sweetheart, honey. Oh, yeah. Sweetie. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, sometimes that's a cultural thing. 
there are a bunch. <laughs> yeah. And so if you realize that they call everybody else, honey, or sweetie, your baby or whatever, then you can say, okay, it's a cultural thing. It, it, you know, it's not just me. If you realize that it's not, you can say, you know what? I only have one name and it's, you know, Jesse. <laughs> we usually get the message across that you'd prefer not to call, be called sweetie or honey or whatever. Okay. Like we, we only have time for maybe one or two more. So, oh, is this, um, is this Beth? Six, three, eight. Yes. Hi, Beth. Howdy. You go oh, ahead. Can I speak now or what? Yes, you may. Um, I was going to ask you, Jesse, how do you deal with like visually impaired people that know you, um, but say come from a a different background than you and possibly a different culture and think that they're above you, that they'll speak to you in a condescending way like that or uh, speak about you or your family in a, in a condescending way. Um, like, I would never go to that part of town, but that's me. And they know that you have to, you live there because you just live there, you know, or, or something like that, because they think that they've had more schooling or more, you know, they think you're, they're above you. How do you deal with that? Uh, Sometimes, once again, you can, you can match their voice and, and respond, or sometimes you can just ask them, you know, what is that about? Or what do you want from that? And or, or confront their behavior. Well, you don't have to go to that side of town because you don't live there. I do. Something like that. Right, right. But then they'll say, oh, I would never live there. <laughs> well. You don't have to. Yeah, you don't have to. And you just say, well, you don't have to. Or you can say that's your choice. Yeah. So. Uh, the important thing is not what they're doing. The important thing here is not to allow them to make you feel that you're not as good as they are. Work on that. Just just say to yourself, I'm not going to allow them to make me feel inferior or less deserving or whatever, whatever you're feeling. Don't allow them. Don't give them that power over you. Right, and I understand that, but sometimes, like, you'll get in a crowd of friends and they'll say, oh, her and her husband live somewhere, live in such and such a a place because he doesn't have that good of a job or something like that, you know what I mean? And he cited, you know. Well, you know, if, if you have a job, you have a job. If you don't have a job, there's a good likelihood that you do other things that are important as well. And so again, it you know don't don't personalize it and work really hard on not allowing people to make you feel bad. You know that's true. Yeah, because once they know that they can do that, people who do that have a lot of insecurities. They feel very insecure, and they're doing everything in their power to to make you feel insecure or to make you feel bad. Because they're trying to cover up their insecurity. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They might, and they might even try and bully you and stuff like that, or you know. Exactly. So 
you know, just be aware of that and just remind yourself, you know what? You don't have the power to make me feel bad about where I live or where I work or my culture or who I am. You don't have that power. Okay. Well, thank you. You work on that. Well, it's about it. So, um, so yeah, so it's about it. So any last remarks, Jesse? Okay. Well, um, I really appreciate everybody's participation. We'll be back next week with a new topic. Um, And stay well. (laughs) All right. All right. right. Bye-bye, everybody.